I'm going to take a slightly different uh, approach and perspective in answering this question, have we failed our democracies? So, I have written down some notes and uh, the title I have given to my notes is Democracy and Political Scope in South Asia. Actually, we are living in a time in which uh, both despair and hope are intertwined. This is almost like one is following the other. Look at this. What happened in Sri Lanka, Maldives, you know, in uh, October we had a great deal of despair in Sri Lanka and then of course, you know, we somehow managed to come out of it and with some degree of, you know, political hope. Now once again, <laughs> yeah, I think, going back to the you know, political, you know, we are politically once again becoming rather complacent. Well, the question is, have we failed our democracies in South Asia? This, in my view, this is uh, this question, perhaps this, this question is not the best way to frame our discussion this evening. Because uh, it attributes a negative agential form to the we, the people of South Asian society. I propose that we must approach our inquiry through a formulation that enables us to value democracy because it is the only political game in town that promises substantive dreams of political emancipation to those, the majority of citizens, men, women, and particularly the youth in South Asia, were oppressed, excluded, marginalized, and disempowered. So it also raises the question, what kind of democracy should it be? And I think that question needs some exploration. I think Kanat ended his presentation with a very interesting formulation. He said that you know, Pakistan is now in a way in search of the relevance of some of those renaissance and enlightenment values of democracy. I think that's a theme we need to discuss slightly in depth today or maybe in the subsequent occasion where we meet. I want to argue and show in my very brief presentation that there is a South Asian, specifically South Asian version of democracy that awaits acknowledgement as well as theorizing. Let me begin by sharing with you an anecdote. In 2004, a group of South Asian political scientists, I'm sure some of you were also part of this exercise. They launched a study on the theme, the state of democracy in South Asia. I don't know, Professor Sharma who took part in that. CSDS coordinated it. And some of you, my colleagues here from Bangladesh, Pakistan, Nepal, Sri Lanka, took part in this. It was the first South Asia-wide state of democracy study by a South Asian team of scholars and activists to understand the status and futures of democracy in South Asia. It was a time of political despair, actually 2004 was the time of generalized political despair in all over South Asia, but in Nepal there was great deal of hope. I remember, you know, some of my colleagues were you know, telling me that those days, you guys in Sri Lanka, that we, you provided a model for us, now we are providing for you guys a model. You know, they screwed up to the peace agreement and your democratic transition. 
So it was a time of political despair when, like today, most of the South Asian democracies had been facing multiple crises. That research team had a series of preparatory dialogues starting with one in Kathmandu. One objective of these meetings was to agree on a central question that could guide the overall inquiry. It could be one that would not take Western themes of comparative politics as its approach of inquiry. Then it is not be attacked in either the conventional liberal democracy nor in the illiberal promise of nationalism in South Asia. It had to be one that would also be relevant to the political experiences of all South Asian societies and also relevant to all these societies despite diverse histories as well as varied encounters with modern democracy in South Asian society. It was not an easy exercise given the initial unwillingness of some members of the team to think beyond the experiences of their individual country-specific democracy lessons. Yesterday, Kanak was making the point that we should uh, liberate ourselves from the present house of nation-state. I think he did use that term, but I think it's what he was suggesting. So, the challenge before us was primarily an ontological one. Just to how to get out of the prison house of the nation-state is political imaginaries. It was about the validity or utility of our existing worldviews that have been shaped by the histories of our own individual nation-states. We tried amidst a lot of debate within the team of scholars to formulate a research program that would bring back to our agenda of critical reflection the actual experiences of contemporary or the actual experience of the emancipatory potential and of the varied biographies of the modern democratic projects in South Asia. The central question of inquiry that fired the imagination of all involved in this study across the nation-state loyalties and set the terms of the study of the status of democracy in South Asia was the following. What had democracy done to South Asia and what South Asia had done to democracy? I think we have to ask similar questions today too. The question we need to ask today is a somewhat similar one, like the following. This is how I have formulated or reformulated that question. Why do citizens in South Asia continue to value and look up to democracy in times of grave crisis amidst its many setbacks, disappointments and failures? For example, Sri Lanka, why is it that you know the hundreds and you know hundreds of young people in their twenties, you know, my young people of my daughter's generation? gathered for two or only six or seven weeks in quantity every day carrying placards, you know, taking a lot of political risks, defending certain constitutional values and I am glad that uh, 
connect talked about the value of constitutionalism and that was one of the central themes in the democratic struggle in the last few months, few weeks in Sri Lanka. So, if we reformulate the question in relation to our own experience, not so long ago in Sri Lanka, in the last week of October, why did many ordinary citizens of Sri Lanka, including the tuk-tuk drivers, you know, I've been talking to many of them, hundreds of them every day, remain so disturbed, outraged, angry, and then found solace in democracy when the country suddenly fell into an unprecedented crisis. I think that's the question that we have to really seriously reflect on Sri Lanka we want to think about to get out of the idea that we have not whether we have failed or not for democracy. The formulation of our question in this manner advances an assumption. People in South Asia continue to believe in democracy. That's the most important thing. Like in the Maldives, they continue to believe in democracy. And like in Nepal, like in Bangladesh, like in Pakistan, India, despite its setbacks and failures to fulfill their collective expectations. That is because they have, for over eight decades, the modern democracy was introduced to South Asia in the 1930s. In Sri Lanka, in India, more as Pakistan, well, the British India, and Bangladesh is part of, you know, one of my friends in Bangladesh told me that he grew up as a he was born in British India, grew up as a citizen of Pakistan, and he met me as a citizen from Bangladesh. So, you know, Bangladesh too, the Nepal too. No, not Nepal. Uh, <laughs> you know, Nepal is no, part of that, but I'm saying that, you know, this, all these societies, yes. whatever democracy was introduced at a time when all these societies have produced waned the past of struggles for, you know, movements for resistance. You know, there's a, you know, biography of modern democracy in South Asia actually had to be written. You know, there's a whole, you know, background, the whole genealogy of modern democracy has to be reformed and rewritten because there's so much, you know, movements and, you know, uh, resistance against oppression, against all forms of oppression in South Asian societies. Starting in the 19th century, you know, the whole uh, anti-caste struggles in uh, Maharashtra and uh, in the modern southern Asia, rather more modern, modern the Maharashtra, Southern India, and Punjab, and other parts of India, and Sri Lanka actually, when universal franchise was introduced in 1931, the political elite opposed to it, but who were the people who demanded and fought for universal franchise and what representative democracy, women's groups, trade unions, and associations of oppressed caste communities. It's a coalition of the excluded to demand and fight for universal franchise and modern representative democracy when the signal is that the Tamil and Muslim political elite opposed to it. So, my argument is that for a period of eight decades, South Asian people have produced a distinctive you know, a narrative of democracy. In other words, they have South Asianized modern democracy. Contrary to its European and colonial origins, 
modern democracy in South Asia has a specifically South Asian character and identity even through people's struggles for freedom, equality and rights. Let me quote from the first report of the State of Democracy in South Asia which was published in 2008. It's one paragraph from that report. The ideal of democracy has transformed South Asia as much as South Asia has transformed the idea of democracy itself. The language, the practice and the institutions of democracy have transformed popular common sense, everyday practices and relations of power. South Asia has reworked the idea of democracy and has very more national. South Asia has reworked the idea of democracy by infusing it with meanings that spill over the received frame of the idea of democracy. These two influences have reinforced each other and helped create South Asian cultures of democracy, distinctly modern and specifically South Asian. Why do people abide by democracy have continuing faith in it despite their disappointments with its failures as a political way of life? There can be many answers to this question. The answer I advance is the following. The moment the modern representative democracy reached South Asia during the late colonial period, much later in, in, in Nepal, it was seized and appropriated by the oppressed, marginalized and disempowered masses of South Asia as well. It is true that it had been appropriated, captured and put into misuse by the elites that you were referring to how it has been happening in Bangladesh and Sri Lanka and many other South Asian societies with the elites have captured it, that they have put it into terrible misuse. At the same time, it has remained the framework of everyday political ontology of millions of the ordinary and non-elite citizens living in poverty and encountering inequalities, injustices and deprivations for generations. They were enabled by the representative, electoral and participatory processes of modern democracy to play an essential role in making and unmaking governments. The principle of political equality inherent in the doctrine of one person, one vote, coupled with the notion that it is people who ultimately authorize governments to rule is what that has made democracy the most attractive political option for political choice among several options in all South Asian societies. The inauguration of modern democracy in South Asia also coincided with the progressive phases of nationalist mobilizations and socialist struggles. So the democracy and progressive nationalism, nationalism you know, reinforce each other in colonial India and to a limited extent in Sri Lanka and in the first days of Pakistan too, in the first few, few, few years after independence. So modern representative and electoral democracy in conjunction with progressive nationalism and visions of social justice also awaken in the masses hopes and visions of social and political emancipation 
and that vision was sustained by three normative principles of democracy freedom equality and popular authorization of political power actually during uh, our struggle to defend democracy in october november late october november december actually one of the fundamental normative points normative you know goals or normative principle that even ordinary people used to articulate for this fundamental democratic principles of popular authorization of you know the political power and also the limits of political power you know when the Lankan president abused and misused constitutional provisions arbitrarily you know even only the citizens were really angry why they believed in the democratic principle that political power is inherently limited and it should not be transcended that principles of limits when the elites approach democracy from primarily an instrumentalist perspective the ordinary citizens see democracy as the only game in town that offers them political agency to make and not make governments when academic political theorists and constitutional lawyers see the meaning of democracy in this passionate commitment to procedural sanctity the ordinary citizens value democracy rather differently and they go beyond the procedural democratic framework a political theorist would be fascinated to see how the popular construction of democracy in south asia has now gone beyond its classical liberal paradigm and indeed fused with republicanist as well as social democratic visions and desires let me elaborate this point in relation to the struggle for defending democracy in sri lanka the past during the past 3 months the continuous resistance to the political crisis that suddenly broke out in sri lanka on october 26 there were two strands in that struggle the first can be called liberal constitutionalist and the second is popular republicanist the liberal constitutionalist strand of resistance sought to restore constitutional governance through procedural institutional means by exploring remedies available through parliament and the supreme court the popular participatory strand mobilized citizens to reclaim the normative ideal of political freedom freedom from arbitrary tyrannical and illegitimate exercise of political power hence is republicanist spirit is the confluence of these two strands of resistance that sustained and gave political meaning to what we witnessed in sri lanka as revival of democratic activism since october 26 and yesterday we were talking about the reconceptualizing the idea of south asia actually the reconceptualization of the idea of south asia is closely interwoven with this you know the popular reconceptualization democracy as a substantive normative goal then i want to get rid of that thank you